Good to see you all be together. Uh, if you know, I keep coming to church noticing this. Have you, have you noticed how many babies have been born in the last six months, eight months? Um, makes you wonder what happened 12 months ago, doesn't it? Nine months, 12 months. That's right, lockdown. So um, we've got a whole bunch of lockdown babies emerging. Um, it's very encouraging, though. I think creche, uh, I think creche year one in the next little while is going to be 100 kids as it rolls on through. So keep going. It's good. We like it. Um, let me pray for us. Father, we do uh, thank you for the, the wonderful blessings of life amongst us. We are conscious, though, too, at the same time we're in the midst of death. Our world is a fallen and broken place, um, which you still are pleased to bring life into. We thank you for that. Uh, but we pray, please, that you would give us wisdom in the midst of a world that is so confusing at times. Uh, help us to make sense of it. Help us to live rightly, we pray. And please let this time together be an occasion where that happens, that we are helped to that end. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you make your way in life? How do you make your way through life? You've only got one life, uh, this side of glory. This is it. This is all you've got these few short years. And uh, as many of us have been confronted by in this last little period of time, and certainly yesterday, those of you who are with us, I mean, this is the flowers that are reflecting um, uh, Dean's funeral yesterday. It was a reminder again about the brevity of life, the fact that we can be struck down at any time. It was uh, very sobering but uh, full of joy because of the grace of God in his life as well. But a real reminder about life is short. How do you make your way in it? How do you make the best of it? How do you live your best life? What is the best life, in fact? We want to make the best life, but we don't even always know what that best life is. We've got all kinds of competing voices telling us what the best life is, how to make sure your life is the best, but would you be sure that you knew what it was when you heard it told to you? I mean, how do you know what it is? Everyone's telling you, is that really the path to take? Is that the path to take? Which, which life is the best? How do I live my best life? The key is wisdom. The key is having the wisdom to discern, to make the best choices. And um, just to uh, let Ben know what Dave's thing was last week. Um, yeah, uh, the definition of wisdom is understanding the reality within which we live, having a right understanding of reality, and so then being able to make choices to navigate that reality well. That's wisdom. It's to make the right choices. But to make the right choices, you need to understand the context you live in. What's the situation and circumstance of reality? So that I can make the best choices in it. If you get reality wrong, you won't make wise choices. If you get reality right and don't have the ability to make the choices you need to make, you won't be wise either. Wisdom is what we need. It's the opposite of being foolish. The opposite of being foolish. The fool is the person who just drifts through life, never really trying to understand, never making sense, never making good choices, just drifting along. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It's the one who pays no heed to instruction, to wisdom, and ends with only loss. Though it's possible to seem like you have it all, but still be a fool. There's um, one occasion where God actually calls a man a fool. Do you remember where it was? In Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12, 
Uh, there's a man who had it all. He was a rich man. He, was a, he had everything in life, but he is called a fool. And he's called a fool because he'd paid no attention to reality. He'd paid no attention to the, the larger frame within which he existed, which was that this life's only the brevity of short here and now. There's a life to come. He'd paid no attention to God. He was rich in this world, but not rich towards God. And God says, you fool. This day your life will be taken from you and what then will you have? To be called a fool. Imagine your life at the end has God's declaration on it. Fool. It's hard to think of a more devastating declaration. We need wisdom to make sense of life, to make our way through life, to live our best life. And last week... Uh, Dave helpfully showed us from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, that those wonderful words, get wisdom, says the writer of Proverbs, get wisdom, though it costs you everything you have. Get wisdom. Get it. Chase it. Pursue it. Find it. Get that wisdom. You know, and, and what I love about this is the book of Proverbs is given to us by God, right? It's God's word to us. Get wisdom, which says what about what God wants for you? He wants you to have a life of wisdom. He wants you to have wisdom. Why? Because God wants you to have the best life. He wants you to be able to live the best life. And let me just pause there for a moment and remind us that God says this. He wants you to have your best life. Now, we could take time over how countercultural that is, and it's worth doing this regularly, re reflecting on what the world thinks of God and the Bible and what the Bible actually says of itself. Let me get that kind of constantly clarified. Um, the, the world thinks God wants to constrain you. The, the world thinks the, the God of the Bible, uh, the God that Jesus introduces us to, is the God who actually wants to ruin your life, to oppress you and constrain you and take things away. The no fun God. That's what the world thinks. And I want to say a thousand times no. He wants your best life. He wants you to get wisdom. He wants you to know what is the best life. He wants you to find out what truly is best and then have the ability to make the best decisions in that life. And so he gives us wisdom. Do you know in James chapter 1, um, uh, the writer says that uh, God is a God who gives wisdom without finding fault. Just ask him. Ask him for it. He wants you to have wisdom. Pray for it. But here's the deal. The answer to your prayer of getting wisdom won't just be sitting passively and having it kind of injected into you. It'd be lovely if it were the case. But the answer to your prayer to get wisdom, which we desperately need, his answer will include giving you the mind to think, to reflect, to understand his word that teaches us about wisdom. Because the way God gives us wisdom is through his word. It's given to make wise the simple, to give discernment. And it's through reflecting on his word uh, that is full of instruction and insight and understanding about reality, the world that we live in. It's through reflecting on his word that we gain wisdom. Let me think with you about it. You're sitting here today and you're 35 years old or 36 or 34 or you can work it out. You're 35, you're the dad of a small family, young kids. What's wisdom for you at this stage of your life? What's the best life that you could live at this point? It might be a young woman who, uh, mum, 
your kids have just started school and so you're finding yourself with a bit more time. What's wisdom for you at this stage of your life? What is the best life? What are the best things to do with your life? Or it could be you're sitting here and you're 60, uh, 65, 70 and you're a grandmother. Uh, it could be you're wondering about what's the best thing for me to do now as I'm coming towards the end of my working life. What's wisdom for me? Or it might be you're sitting here, you're a single man, you're a single woman, uh, not married, you haven't got kids and you've got uh, opportunities. What's wisdom for you? We've all got decisions to make. What's the best thing to do? What's wisdom? We need wisdom. And the answer to all of those questions is to reflect on God's word, which was given by God to give us wisdom, that we can work out what is the best and then work out how to make the best choices in the context of the world we're in. And the piece I want to reflect with you on this morning is one of the most intriguing, puzzling and deep verses of uh, Luke's gospel. It's Luke chapter 7, come with me. And I want to suggest to you, as we reflect on this together, we'll find wisdom. God will give us the gift of wisdom. Luke chapter 7. Verse 35, it's a puzzling verse, which is the nature of wisdom verses often. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. There's the verse I want to reflect with us on this morning to gain wisdom about how to make choices, how to live wisely. And I want to offer this promise. I'm going to step out on a limb and promise you to deliver something this morning, and this is it. Um, I want to suggest to you that if you puzzle through this verse well and spend time reflecting on it, it will provide you with the, one of the greatest lessons you can learn about being wise, about how to be wise. I want to suggest to you, if you reflect well on this, it's a game changer. Is that a big enough promise? Luke chapter 7, verse 35. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. Let's dig into this, uh, just one sentence, we'll bounce around to other parts of it, we'll go back to the book of Proverbs and we're going to land in a psalm very soon as well. But let me dig here, um, wisdom is proved right, it's the, it, the original word is actually justified, it's the same word you get, uh, it's a dikaiosanere word, it's a, to be justified, it's, it's the word that says wisdom is justified, it's vindicated, it's proved to be truly wisdom. That's what the word means there. It's proved to be vindicated, it's demonstrated to truly be wisdom by all her children. Now, what does that mean? This is where we get a little puzzling. It's, um, it's an interesting thing that Jesus uses here. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. Wisdom is personified, made out to be like a person who has children, who gives birth to children, you see. That's what's being suggested here, by her children. Jesus is doing with wisdom what the Bible often does with wisdom. It turns wisdom, the idea of wisdom, into a person, into a personal being. Um, so the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom being with God at the moment of his creation. By wisdom is created. Uh, it personifies the idea of wisdom. The end of the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom as a woman, a beautiful woman who is an extraordinary woman. Uh, because woman, wisdom is actually, in its original language, feminine. And so if you see wisdom embodied, it'll be a beautiful woman. Uh, wisdom is personified, living and active, personal, like the very Word of God itself. And here wisdom gives birth to children. So far we've got it clear? 
wisdom is vindicated, is proved right by all the, th- the ones she, wisdom gives birth to, do you see? So far it's clear. Where it becomes less clear is what does it mean that her children prove wisdom? What does it mean to say that her children, wisdom's children, will prove wisdom right? That's the puzzle to wrestle with. And it takes a little bit of thinking. There's some various options. People have talked about various thoughts about this over many years. Um, And I don't think there's only one answer. I think that's the nature of wisdom literature. Um, Often uh, the, the book of Proverbs lands a couple of different statements that are opposite each other and the idea is to reflect on them, to dig into them. And Because some parts of the Bible, there's a few, few parts of the Bible where there's, it's meant to make you think and reflect. It's not meant to be crystal, one idea, clear. There's some parts of the Bible like that. But most of it's meant to be crystal clear. Most of it is crystal clear. Most of it only has one idea. And if you look at the context of verse 35, you'll see some of this play out. Let me just take you back a little bit. Um, Verse uh, 30, verse 30. The Pharisees, experts of law, rejected God's purposes for themselves. They had not been baptised by John. The context is a group of people who'd rejected God and what he was doing in the world. You see the religious leaders. So verse 31, Jesus goes on to say, "'To what can I compare the people of this generation?' They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pie for you, you didn't dance, we sang a dirge, you didn't cry. We wanted you to do this, you wouldn't fit in, we want you to do that, you wouldn't fit in, so we've dismissed you. But he goes on a little bit further, verse 33, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a tax collector, and a friend of tax collectors. (laughs) What's Jesus saying? It's crystal clear. What he's saying is God's God's plans and purposes are being fulfilled right in front of you. God has come in the person of Jesus to seek and save the lost. God has been born amongst us to win us back to himself by his death on the cross and his resurrection so that any who put their trust in him will be saved. God comes to save you, but the world doesn't want to be saved and it finds any reason it can to dismiss Jesus and his claim and the point Jesus is making through this little section is that the problem with your lack of ability to respond to me as you ought the problem with your lack of ability to see who I am for who I am is not my problem it's yours you keep changing the goalposts so that I can never score you keep moving and shifting. You, you, you want me to be, you, you, you don't like John because he comes neither eating or drinking. And you say, well, he's clearly a demon. Look how badly he lives. Jesus then comes eating and drinking. And you go, well, he's a drunkard. You just shift the goalpost to make sure that Jesus can never get through. Because really, you don't want him. That's the point Jesus is making, that there's a deep problem with the human heart. The problem is our problem not his and he nails it as you talk to people in the world today it's interesting um, before the grace of God ended our lives we were constantly working out ways of keeping God out finding reasons to not like what he did uh, and, and we shift and change it's the nature of the world it's very clear but then it's in this context verse 35 but Jesus says but 
In the context of a world that won't have him, that keeps dismissing him and says, no, that's not of God because, well, now it's not of God because, in that world, verse 35 comes and says, but wisdom is proved right, is vindicated by all her children. Well, what does it mean? Well, I think there's a couple of options. It could be what Jesus is saying is, wisdom is proved right by all its children, her children, in that those that are truly born of God's wisdom, believers, followers of Christ, will be able in their own lives to prove the truth of wisdom. Every believer once they come to faith in Christ, will live a life that proves the wisdom of wisdom. It could be saying that. That's a true thing to say. Jesus says, if you become my disciples, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's actually upon following Jesus that you end up knowing the truth. It's not just that you know the truth and so follow Jesus. It's rather that you bow the knee to Jesus. And as soon as you bow the knee to Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus becomes more evident to you. Have you experienced that? I I hear it's a common experience. Do you know, I resisted Jesus, I fought him until I finally bowed the knee. I was compelled to follow Christ and upon following Christ, it was like the lights went on. Now I see everything that I hadn't seen before and I see the wisdom of who Jesus is and the truth of it. It's been powerful and wonderful. I finally have meaning and purpose in life. Have you experienced that? Many Christians do. It could be what Jesus is saying, that... Wisdom is proved in her children. Her children prove the wisdom of wisdom. But there's another option. And I tend towards this one. It could be that what Jesus is saying is, despite the world that dismisses me, if you look properly at the children that wisdom has produced, you'll see the wisdom of wisdom. So it's not about your experience of seeing wisdom, it's rather you seeing the ones that wisdom has produced and you'll look at them and go, wisdom is truly wisdom because of what it's produced. Now I think this is the way it goes because in the context, and here's a little, this is going to freak you out a little but I think what Jesus is talking about in context is the children of wisdom. Who do you think the children of wisdom are in the context? Who's he been talking about? John the Baptist who comes neither eating or drinking. Jesus who comes drinking and eating. Rejected both. I think what Jesus is saying is the children of wisdom are John the Baptist and Jesus. I think what he's saying is that wisdom has given birth to two of the greatest Men who have ever lived. John the Baptist, Jesus says, verse 28, is no one, is, there's no one greater than John the Baptist who has ever been born. But John the Baptist says of Jesus that he's not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. The greatest human that's ever been born, John the Baptist, is not even worthy to be a slave of Jesus, the greatest of greatest who's ever been born. And I think what Jesus is saying is, when you finally twig to see who John the Baptist is and who Jesus is, and realise that wisdom has given these two birth, has brought to, to be these two, you will praise the wisdom that has given birth to John the Baptist and Jesus. 
It will vindicate the greatness of wisdom, the glory of wisdom to have produced such men as these. You know, um, as young parents, uh, I remember these days, and I know some of you, as young parents, you worry about raising kids and you're trying to work out how to raise kids. There's all kind of competing voices around the place and you find a bunch of kids from one family that are all awesome and you go, well, clearly the kids prove the wisdom of the parents' child rearing. You see how that works? I see great kids and I go, gee, what went on in the parents? They've done a great... I think they've probably got the wisdom, you see. Well, I think that's what's happening here. You see Jesus in all his glory for who he is and you go, wisdom gave birth to this one. God's wisdom gave birth to Jesus. How great and glorious is the wisdom that brought you to be. You know, I want to spend most time on this particular thought because this understanding of the proverbial saying of Jesus that wisdom is proved right by her children, by seeing her children, I think it gives it a profoundly important principle of life. And here it is. You see the wisdom of wisdom in the next generation, not always in the first You see the wisdom of wisdom in the next generation. It's the fruit of wisdom that proves the wisdom of wisdom. It's what wisdom produces. It's not just the immediate experience of living a life of wisdom. It's what wisdom produces that demonstrates the wisdom of wisdom. Do you see what I'm saying here? Wisdom is proved right in her children. The children that are produced actually evidence the wisdom of a life that produced the children. I think that's what's... Wisdom doesn't always feel like wisdom when you're living the wise life. This is the game changer. Wisdom doesn't always feel like wisdom when you're living the wise life. Wisdom doesn't always feel like wisdom in the short term. The choices that a wise person makes, the decisions, the actions, will often only be seen to have been truly wise when you see the long-term picture. Making sense? You'll often only see the wisdom of the parents when you see the grandchildren and what life has been produced down through the generations. Now, (laughs) I think Jesus' words there in verse 35, this is one occasion where I want to say, I think you can go in a few different directions with this particular verse. But what I'm suggesting. The meaning of it is, I think, is backed up by the Bible. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 4. Well, let's start a little earlier, verse uh, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair. Here it is. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Notice those words, to the young. Verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Just notice how Hebrew thinking, Christian thinking is mum and dad, you see. 
It's not some simple patriarchy, it's mum and dad. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Verse 10. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Now, pull all of this together. Why does the old man and the old woman need to say what they say to the young man? Why is it the old man and the old woman... Why are they the ones that need to speak to this, like this to the young man? Because wisdom only proves itself in the long run. Wisdom is not obvious in the short term, but it's proved right in her children in the life that wisdom produces over the long term. The old man and the old woman need to say this to the young because the young don't yet have the years to discern what truly is wisdom. They don't have the years yet to see how different paths in life play out. They're still young. And foolishness, here it is, foolishness often seems very attractive in the short term. It, it is the kind of thing... Verse 10, my son, sinful men will entice you. Foolishness is enticing. It's attractive in the short term. Verse 13, they say we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. It's attractive in the short term. Verse 15, don't, set, don't go along with them. Don't set your foot on their paths. Because going along with them is attractive, but it will take you somewhere. It starts at the beginning and will take you somewhere. Foolishness is a path. Verse 19. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. It's the wise older one who has seen this play out, who has seen this play out, who has seen wisdom justified in her children in the long run. Wisdom won't always seem attractive in the short term. But it's proved over the generations of life. The wisdom of the parents and the choices they made are proved in the children that are produced. And let me pick up one of the very culturally confronting pieces of wisdom um, that you find in, um, in this uh, book. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. It's very confronting because it uses the language of the adulterous woman Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Just look, this is not Proverbs down on women because the book ends, Proverbs chapter 31, with the most wonderful personification of wisdom as a woman. I've mentioned this. Uh, wisdom is feminine. It's rather just using a very vivid piece of language for a young man to be, uh, see, see it vividly. Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Do you see that? Her words will be seductive, her speech. Look, come into chapter 5, you see it mentioned again, the whole language of adultery. Verse 3, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Uh, adultery, uh, the, right, the old man is saying, it, the old woman is saying, it appears attractive in the short term. It's seductive, it's captivating, it looks good. But look at verse 4. 
In the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. It will sound... (laughs) Men, women, that other man, that other woman will appear to have all the answers for you and your need. She will drip honey, not perhaps maliciously even, but it will look to you like this is the answer. It will feel exactly right, that affair. It will perhaps meet the needs that you have. You feel a great gaping wound and a hole and this relationship outside of your marriage, you think of the answer and it will perhaps feel that way. Don't. Don't. In the end, it will be bitter as gall. Verse 8, don't go near the house of the adulteress. You know, after he appeals to the faithful, to be faithful to the wife of your youth, he has this warning in verse 21 of chapter 5, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great foolishness. For lack of discipline, they will die. Discipline doesn't seem attractive. But the writer of this old man, old woman, who has seen wisdom play out in the generations, says it always ends badly. Don't go down that path. Do you see how this is a game changer? Let me give you four applications. Here's the first one. When you understand this uh, about wisdom, that wisdom is proved right in her children, you see, not in the first instance, but it's proved right in the children. When you appreciate this, it helps you get free of one of the most, some of the most destructive but attractive lies of our modern culture. It helps us break free from the foolishness around us. Let me give you three attractive lies. Live for today. Follow your heart. Do what feels good. Attractive? You've only got one life. Live for today. Make the most of every day. Go for it. Follow your heart. Do what feels good. Very attractive. But young men, young women amongst us, Those are lies that will destroy you. They will steal your life. They are the opposite of wisdom. If you live for today, you will never pursue the harder path, the wiser path, because the wiser path often costs you today for the sake of tomorrow. It will pay, though, untold blessings in the future for you and your children. Don't live for today. If you follow your heart, you will keep choosing the most enticing. When so often, very often, the wisest course is the least attractive in the short term. Learn discipline, wisdom. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 26. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. 
Be steadfast in all. Learn to choose well and stick at it. Do you know a personal illustration? Forgive me for this because I'm not perfect by any means. But one of the things that older men and women urged me to do when I was younger was finish my course that I was studying. Even though I wasn't going to use it in the long term. They said finish it. So for some three years I laboured at this course that I knew I wasn't going to use. Why? Because they knew it would teach me to be steadfast, to stick at things, to learn discipline, wisdom from the old men and women. Young men and women, learn to stick at things. Be steadfast, choose rightly and stick at it. It's a game changer. You see, the fact that you don't measure what's wisest by what feels good changes everything. And so you need to learn then, listen, if I don't choose what's wisest by what feels good, how do I work out what's wisest? You trust God. You trust the wisdom that he gives you. And how can I trust the wisdom that he gives me? Because wisdom's proved right by her children. Look at the Lord Jesus. God's wisdom produced the greatest human who has ever lived, the Saviour. You can trust that wisdom that brought forth John the Baptist and Jesus. You can trust him, you see. When wisdom doesn't feel good, you need to trust God. Lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs chapter 3, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. It's a game changer. Second, You don't measure wisdom by short-term gains. Some of you are old enough to remember the free love movement of the 1960s. I was late to that one. I was only very... Do you remember the free love, some of you? That kind of Woodstock era where all you need is love. Um, Love the one you're with. Uh, um, Love is everywhere. It was a few years later, wasn't it? Everywhere you look around, it was all about love. Um, and And the whole idea was... The traditional marriage was seen as restrictive and old-fashioned. It was Christian and we need to get rid of that. The future was to be liberated, to love whoever you're with, uh, to have open relationships. And for some years it seemed to be right. There was beautiful joy and happiness for those few months where they pursued it. But wisdom is proved right by her children. The children of Woodstock were deeply wounded. And women... Women were most often bruised through it all. They ended up the ones most damaged in the free love movement. Time revealed the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is that love is never free. Love is never free. It is always costly in the short term. It always costs you to be faithful. To labour at standing by someone and not follow your heart, but to guard your heart. And so you increasingly love what you choose. You don't measure wisdom by short-term gains. Wisdom is proved right in her children. Pay attention, men and women, to the legacy you leave. Pay attention to the choices you make today in your relationship, in your work, in your Christian life. Pay attention to all of those decisions with an eye to the legacy you leave your children. 
because they will demonstrate the wisdom of your choices. You see, what do you choose? To work for money or to continue to volunteer, to move or to not move, uh, to, to pursue that friendship, not that friend. What do you choose? Well, the wisdom of your choices will play out in years to come. It's not just what feels good now, it's the impact on generations to come. Pay attention, young men and women, particularly to leaving a legacy in your family of a new way of thinking about life. Because the wisdom of your choices will be proved in your children. Now, older men and women, there's grace for all our failings. The Lord is gracious. I'm very aware, Kathy and I are very aware of all of our weaknesses and we are so thankful that God treats us not as we deserve, that there's forgiveness and there's mercy and there is for all of us who are older. Um, but when you're younger, pay attention. Third, wisdom is proved right by her children. Over the long term, you will grow to love wisdom. Here's a funny wrinkle. Don't follow your heart until you've lived the life of wisdom for a long time. Because when you live according to God's word for a long time, what happens is you invest your heart in what God wants you to invest in and slowly your heart gets captivated by the thing he wants. And so you can over the years start to follow your heart because your heart's been transformed to love what wisdom is. Invest in your heart. And I love chapter 4 there. Look at it um, Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Young men and women, guard your heart today. Invest today in growing a heart that loves what God loves because in 20, 30, 40 years' time, your heart will be a thing you can follow because you want what is good. Fourth, and this truly is the game changer. Because wisdom will often cost you and often it feels anything but a blessing, you need to look to the long term, the long view. And I always think Psalm 73 is the greatest blessing there is for this regard. Come and look at Psalm 73, just very briefly. Psalm 73 is a wonderful reflection on reality. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? I'd almost given up the faith. For I envied the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They have lived the foolish life, but they're doing so well. I've been faithful in the wisdom of devoting myself to the things of Christ, to being faithful in my marriage, to be faithful in the service of Christ, to giving myself to the things of... I've been faithful in all of this, and they're the ones who are prospering and happy, and I'm the one struggling. What's the answer to this? Verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till, until, I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. What's their final destiny? Everything's lost. Because you don't measure wisdom by the short term. You measure wisdom by her children, by the long term. And the long term is eternity. It's eternity. 
You don't measure wisdom about how well you'll go in this life. You measure wisdom finally by whether you will stand before God one day and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your glory. Wisdom won't always feel like the best choice. It'll be hard. It requires discipline. The world will constantly entice you to think it's better somewhere else. The world will drip honey. We'll speak oil. It'll be so enticing and attractive, the wisdom of the world. And at times your feet will almost slip until you look into the eternal distance and see where wisdom truly plays out. 35-year-old dads with young kids amongst us, wisdom for you. Love the wife of your youth. Love her. Be faithful to her. Drink deeply of her. Learn the discipline of faithfulness. Learn to work and stick at things. Young mums with more free time. Yeah, someone laughed. Your kids are starting to go to school is what I mean. Thanks, Hazy. Your kids are starting to go to school and you've got a bit more time. What do you do? Devote yourself to doing good. And look to the choices you make and what it will say about what matters in your life for the sake of your kids. To the young men and women, dig now into God's word. Work hard now at the word of God to know God better, to store up into your heart the riches of his word so that you'll be more and more wise. Consciously and deliberately choose against the wisdom of the world. The older amongst us. Wisdom... Look into the sanctuary, look into eternity and realise that your life is not just coming to an end, it's nearing the finish line. Now's not the time to take your foot off and drift, now's the time to keep running, to keep persevering. Get out the walking frame if you need to, to keep working at it. But don't drift now. The end is closer than it was at the beginning. Wisdom says to keep going, to press on. Let's pray. No, let's not pray. Yet. Take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to think about how wisdom plays out in your life. We'll have the music guys come up and um, get ready to lead us in the last song. But take a moment and I'll pray for us in a second. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask, please, that you um, might give us a real sense of your goodness to us in the wisdom that you provide. Help us learn to love wisdom. And help us be wise enough to realise that wisdom's not proved right until her children come, until the long haul, until the distance. Help us, therefore, to love what is good, to trust you about wisdom now with a very firm eye on eternity where the truth about wisdom will be revealed for all its glory. Help us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has demonstrated, justified the greatness of your wisdom, that we might trust you in our days. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.